We're going to take a break for a while from Hosea for the month of October, and we're going to look at uh, the solos of the Reformation as we come into this uh, 500th anniversary of the Reformation through the month of October as the 500th, I guess, anniversary of the nailing of the 95 theses on the uh, chapel door at Wittenberg uh, by Luther. So we'll start that next week uh, for a short time, at least through the month of October, and then we'll come back to uh, Hosea. Uh, so we'll be in the book of Hosea this morning, chapter 4, all of chapter 4. We're going to begin to take Hosea in a little bit of bigger chunks, uh, otherwise you might get tired of me declaring judgment against you uh, week after week after week, uh, because for the next time, a little bit of time here, Hosea is going to be declaring judgment against Israel and Judah uh, for its waywardness. And it really is not till we get to the end of Hosea where we start to see you know, some reprieve uh, from the judgment, uh, but we'll work our way through this as we can. Hosea chapter 4, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in the land or dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the fields and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend and let none accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people, and they are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood. And their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of mountains. They burn offerings on the hills under oaks, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is good. Therefore your daughters will play the whore. Your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes, and people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let Judah Judah become guilty. Enter into Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon, and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in the broad pastures? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. And when their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rules dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed 
because of their sacrifices. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. What happens when people begin to do whatever they want? When they begin to live however they want, be it in church life or family life or just in the general world, what happens if people are able to do whatever they want, whenever they want, with, without perceived consequence? Uh, the only answer to this is when the world begins to live however it wants, chaos reigns. <laughs> chaos will follow inevitably because it doesn't matter if I take what's yours as long as I want it. It doesn't matter if I lie as long as it makes me happy. As long as it serves my own end, it's okay to murder. It's the breakdown of the whole society. And as we read through chapter 4, we see that this is what's going on in Israel. People are living however they want to live. The remainder of the book, as I've said, the book of Hosea is an address to Israel and to Judah. The whole household of God. In this chapter in particular, the first three verses stand as an accusation against the people. And the rest from four on is an explanation of what they're being accused for. We've just finished with the first three chapters, and the first three chapters understood the relationship between God and the people as a marriage. And the people are accused of harlotry. They have fled from God, and God is displeased with them. They've been idolatrous and followed after other gods. And so the prophet here in chapter 4 calls the people to hear the Lord's, to hear Yahweh's case against the people. This is the charges in essence. You can imagine in a courtroom setting, uh, what are, the, what are this person being charged with? And you might have the bailiff or someone else stand up and say, this is the charges that this person is being charged with. These charges are, in essence, saying that the people are not living according to God's will. They are living in such a way that is not consistent with the character of God. In fact, he says, there is no more faithfulness or steadfast love or knowledge of God in the land. In essence, is saying this. These this word pair, faithfulness and steadfast love. The steadfast love is actually the word hesed. It can be also translated covenant loyalty. There is no longer this faithfulness and covenant loyalty among the people. This word pair, faithfulness and covenant loyalty, is something that is often used to describe God. They are not living the way God has called them to live. These things have left the land. And this death of faithfulness and steadfast love 
is a sign of Israel's failure. It's failure to reflect the knowledge of God as the people of God. And so we see here social crimes are on the rise. Swearing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. All of which we find where? The Ten Commandments. In essence, the people are looking at the law of God and they're rejecting the law of God and they're doing exactly what they want to do, so much so that it says, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. And you get the sense here. Evil's begetting evil. Wickedness is begetting wickedness. And it's multiplying in the land. They break all bonds. There's no, there's no longer any social restraint. Because even, even the most skeptical of us in this world acknowledges the need for law. Right? Even if you claim no God, even if you claim no not like that God is ludicrous, we still claim the need for restraint. If you are a murderer, you should be you should be punished. If you steal, you should be punished. But these things have left the land. And people are doing whatever they want to do. They're compounding upon each other the society in essence is falling into chaos everyone we could for a moment here quote the judges is doing what is right in their own eyes they are living how they want to live and so God comes with his case against the land and against Israel the land being synonymous the same as Israel it it pertains to not only the people but all the animals and beasts dwelling in it the whole of the land stands condemned this bloodshed affects everyone so as we come to our text today as we're now going to flesh out the rest of this through verse 4 to the end we're going to see three things that there's an accusation against the priest there's an accusation against the priesthood and there's an accusation against the people So accusation against the priest, or you could say high priest here, uh, accusation against the priesthood, and accusation against the people. Uh, We begin here in verse 3 with the prophet coming and addressing uh, the priest, the high priest specifically, on behalf of Yahweh, on, on behalf of God. And so he comes and he charges him with failure in his duties. See, the priest, the priesthood, but even more specifically the high priest, was tasked with being the mediator of Yahweh's will. He was to come before the people and present sacrifices and such for the people. But the priest, the high priest, and also the prophet... Uh, and I don't believe Hosea is talking about himself here. What he's talking about is the whole uh, system which was built up to instruct the people of God has stumbled. It says, you shall stumble by day. They're being destructful. Destructful. 
in what they're doing. They're stumbling. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And Hosea is not opposing them because of their position. He's opposing them because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They have perverted and twisted the role which God had given them. They were to be the instruments through which the people received knowledge of God and instruction, but they're failing in their task. They rejected knowledge. And since they rejected God, God now is rejecting them. They're failing to focus on the need for the law and for the people to know the law. It no longer guides the people or their responses. And therefore, those who have forgotten to do what they were supposed to do, since you have forgotten the law of God, I will forget your children. All right. So what does all this mean? God has given to his people those who would mediate, for the lack of a better term, the word of God to the people. Teachers and ministers of the word of God. Teachers and ministers of the word of God must faithfully administer that knowledge to the people. And when teachers and preachers of the word of God, which are in essence the New Testament priesthood, if you would, fail to mediate the word of God for the people, God will reject them. So how is this done in the modern context? It's done when leaders are more concerned with their pocket than with the knowledge of God. It's done when leaders are more concerned with making people feel good about themselves than with giving them truth. It's done when leaders are more worried about pleasing the world than in pleasing God. Preachers and teachers of the church, and in the Old Testament, the priesthood or the high priest was tasked with pointing people to God. And this must be first and foremost... We must give God glory in all that we do. And when we fail to do this, when we are derelict in our duties, when we forget the law of God, judgment will come and God will forget his people. And this extends not only from the priest, the high priest, but to all the priesthood. It's it's this trickle-down effect that is going on. There's an increase Of judgment to the priesthood as a whole. Because here's what was going on. The priests were involved in sin. Their their job was to be involved in sin. And if they were doing their job right, their job was to mediate forgiveness of sins, right? They would come, people would come with their sin. This is the Old Testament system. And they would do the sacrificial system, which was meant to, to show the people forgiveness of sin. They were there to bring cleansing for the people. But instead of mediating the sins of the people, they became so corrupt that they were actually increasing the sins of the people.
They have failed in their roles. And God will reject them. He says their glory will be replaced with dishonor. God intends, first and foremost, to protect his glory. And his glory cannot be lost. And when Israel, through the priesthood, gave away its glory, the punishment that he gave upon them was to let that glory depart from them. It says it here that they were literally feeding on the sins of the people. Now, this is somewhat a play on words here because if you know anything about the Old Testament sacrificial system, you would come in, the priest would sacrifice uh, this animal, but the animal just wasn't burnt and, and then just left. It was actually eaten. And what they would do is they would take part of it. But what they had started doing is taking more than their allotted portion. They were literally becoming fat off the sins of the people. This is the, the play on words that's going on here. It says, you have eaten the sins of the people. They fed on the sins of my people. Literally, you are, you are greedy for their iniquity. You can see this here, this kind of symbolism of like, this bull or whatever it is was meant to be a symbol of their forgiveness of sins. And you're more worried about taking more of the meat for yourself. You're feeding on the sins of the people you're rejecting God the sacrifices weren't for the mediation of sin they became for the enrichment of their own lives they were corrupting the instituted practices of God for their own means and so corruption came to the priesthood and as corruption came to the priesthood it trickled down to the people there's a saying here it says oh, where is it and it shall be like people like priest in essence this is the same saying it's like saying like father like son that's what the, the gist of that saying is like people like priest it's saying the priests or the, the people are going to imitate what the priests are doing if you have children, I'm sure you've had those moments where you look in your child's eyes and you go, there's my sin. My wife says no. She's perfect. I affirm her in this perfectness. No, I don't. Because we see that. We see our children tend to mimic our sins. And this is what's going on. The priest are passing on their attitude to the people. Like father, like son. Punishment is coming because of this. They had a responsibility. They should have known better. And the consequences we see in verse 10, they shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply. And you see the sense here. It's in essence they're saying, you're going to sow but you're not going to reap. You will eat and eat and eat but you're still going to be hungry. You're going to play the whore, but you're never going to have children. It is a fruitless exercise, in essence. They will be futile in what they do. And this is going to happen because they are living outside the will of God. And again, we see the corruption of the modern day priesthood all around us. As this health and wealth gospel 
proliferates. As we see these televangelists line their pockets and buy multiple private jets. And we see the corruption as they become fat off the sins of the people. They promise, if you just have enough faith and send me your money, God will bless you. They're taking and taking from the people. And in in response, the people are left with a bad theology. They're not concerned with promoting people to know knowledge of God. They're encouraging them to bow to the idol of health and wealth. There's a message here for these, aren't there? When those who claim to teach knowledge of God begin to teach a false gospel, and as they take the people with them, God will remove glory from them. There is a punishment that is coming for them. Their labor will be for nothing because they have prioritized themselves over God. His glory will be made known and their apparent glory will be rejected. He will remove this perceived glory from them. And so the priest is accused, the priesthood is accused, but not only this, the people, the people are accused. My people inquire of a piece of wood They have forsaken the Lord. They have cherished whoredom, wine, and new wine. Uh, He exposes the sins of the people by accusing them of their senseless behavior. Hosea may have in mind here these festivals and feasts, and they were taking these festivals and feasts that were instituted by the God, and they were in essence making them times of overindulgent celebration. Think Mardi Gras. (laughs) Mardi Gras, which was intended to be, maybe at some point, um, this religious festival, be it misguided or not, has turned into this overindulgent in excess and drink and everything else. Do everything that you aren't going to do for the next 40 days as much as you can do it. This may be what he has in mind here. They're consuming wine so much that it impairs their judgment. Their hearts are divided. They are left with lack of understanding. It says literally here, you inquire of a piece of wood. Now, the sentence in and of itself is just kind of funny, right? Because if I had, I don't, maybe I should have brought a prop, but I don't have a prop. If I had a piece of wood, if I had a stick sitting in my hand and I was like, stick? What should I do? And you would look at me and you would go, that man's crazy. (laughs) Because what good does it do me to inquire of a stick? It does me no good at all, does it? Now, this is a little bit different because what they would do is they would take this piece of wood and they would fashion it into an idol. But then they would put that idol in a position of prominence and then they would look at that idol and they would say, What should I do? Give me knowledge. Give me truth. 
And really, it's a senseless action, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, that even though it's carved and it may look nice, it's still a piece of wood. Not only that, it says they would go and their walking staff gives them oracles. And the notion of this is some sort of oracle who has a staff. And people would go to the oracle and seek knowledge from him. In the spirit of harlotry, they have led themselves away from God to this mystically divine things. It's, and it ends up being the opposite of the knowledge of God. Because it's senseless to inquire a piece of wood, anything. So they not only have bowed their knee to idols, but they've sacrificed on the tops of mountains. And as you go through this, as they burn offerings on the hills under oaks, poplars, turbans, because of the shade is good. It's all talking about these high places where these sacrifice uh, um, places were set up. And so they've gone to these high places and they've defectively and perversely worshipped there. And it's, it's either... It's probably both of these things, the misguided worship of Yahweh. So maybe they're sacrificing to Yahweh in these ways, or it's polytheism and they're sacrificing to idols. Either way, they're in a wrong way approaching God. It says, I will punish your daughters and your brides for they commit adultery. Or or he says, I will not punish. And the sense here isn't really that he's not just going to punish. It's not that he's actually not going to punish the daughters and 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 the brides. It's going to say, I'm not just going to punish them. I'm also going to punish the men who with them commit prostitution. He says, I'm going to punish all of them because they all have left me. To them shall come ruin. It's guilt and consequences are for all. Because of the faithlessness of both men and women. Those who have rejected Yahweh will pay a high Price. Verse 15, though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. And we start to see some of these things and enter not into Gilgal or Beth-Avon. And we don't really know where these things are. We know that Beth-Avon stands for house or wicked house. He says, don't go into these places of wickedness and swear not as the Lord lives. And this is, this is the same thing as saying, I promise on my mother's grave. Really, at the end of the day, this this kind of senseless promise, right? He's saying, swear not as the Lord lives. And they were saying, basically they were saying, on my honor, as the Lord lives, I'm telling you the truth. He's saying, don't do this because you're just lying at the end of the day. All these things that are contrary to God, symbolic for wickedness, like a stubborn heifer. Now, I don't recommend anyone here go home and call their wife a stubborn heifer. But this is exactly what God calls Yahweh, or Yahweh calls the people. You are like a stubborn heifer, a stubborn cow. You stubborn cow. How am I going to lead you into pastures? How can I provide for you when you are so stubborn and seeking after these things that are not good for you? In 17, Ephraim really stands for the whole of the people. Ephraim is joined to idols. They've joined themselves to idols. They've celebrated in these feasts of drinking and the 
infidelity to Yahweh increases as the people turn to these things. It is to their dishonor and shame. And the shame applies to the people as a whole. A wind has wrapped them, it says in verse 19. I think this is a continued metaphor for the drunkenness. And they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifice. They have sacrificed not to God, but to this cultic activity. The same guilt that is proclaimed by the priest and the priesthood will come to the people. Because they have received this perverted knowledge of God. They have allowed themselves in this knowledge to be perverted. It is a wholesale wickedness that has come to the people and to the world, to the land. And the reality is, is that as we look at this world, we don't see something that's actually so different, sadly. When we talk about these idols and these high places and in these high places where these uh, bad sacrifices were going on you had all sort of things like cultic prostitution uh, love feast in, in, in a negative sense and we look at our world today and we see a world that has literally given itself over to sexual immorality we no longer talk about balls or bales or whoever else but we still have the, this whole notion of free love. This whole notion of sacrificial, um, of, of, of babies even. To the idol of self. The reality is that we still see the same immorality going on. Even if we don't have the altars. Even if we don't have the rites. The altars have been removed in the place of the altars has been put self. We worship the idol of self. Self is what matters more than anything else. So we live by the motto, if it feels good, do it. If it makes me happy, then it must be good. Because this is what the people were doing. They were seeking what they thought would make them happy, not what was good for them. has resulted in our world of all sorts of manner of sexual perversion. And we live as if God's not there. We live as if we are the pinnacle of creation. What is there that is greater than self? And here's the warning for us. Because if you know, we didn't read anything that says, but I will once again come into the land and I will bring forgiveness and repentance to the people. In fact, for some time, we will not get this. Because he's going to talk about punishment for Israel and for Judah. He's going to talk about how Israel and Judah are unrepentant, how they will reap the whirlwind, how the Lord will punish them. And this goes on. For like 10 chapters, or to chapter 10, before finally in 11 we see some uh, relent, relenting of this. But there's a warning here, a stern 
Stark warning. If the people of God abandon God, if the people of this world abandon their creator, then he will abandon them. So it doesn't matter if we go to church and we play the, play the parts. It doesn't matter if we come into the, the house of God and yet pervert it and try to satisfy our own longings, our own needs, our own preferences. If we seek after the world and its pleasures and its priorities, if we come to the word of God, And tweak it so that it's more palatable. Or we tweak it so it makes us feel good about ourselves. Or we change it so that we can then go out into the world and say, I'm not so different than you. And we look like the world and we conform to the world. Then there's a judgment. He accuses us. We stand accused. For we have rejected our God. From top to bottom, the people of God have turned from him, as we see in Hosea. The high priest failed to lead the people to, or people after God. They have indulged in self above all else. They have perverted the worship of God. And this perversion extended to the whole priesthood, those who would teach and preach the word of God. They have made themselves literally fat on the sins of the people. They have led them down the path of unrighteousness. And the people in turn have followed that wickedness. They have indulged in their sinful desires. They have perverted the glory of God. They have sought after many idols. And they stand accused. And so we started by saying, if we're in the courtroom of God, when the bailiff, whoever stands up and says, this is the, the world or the people, whatever you want to say, and says, this is what they are accused of. We have no answer. We have no answer in this divine courtroom. There's no answer to be made. They can, we cannot, this world cannot justify its actions They stand guilty. And unless something happens, judgment follows. Now this is where I get to step in for a second, right? And say, okay, something's happened. If this is who we are, if if we're in the divine courtroom and this is who we are, yes, judgment follows. But thanks be to God. That's not where it ends, is it? Because Jesus Christ at that point steps in. And he says, yes. They stand convicted. They stand guilty. And they deserve everything that they have coming. But I am going to take their punishment upon myself. And I am going to give them my righteousness. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the wondrous reality for those who are in Christ Jesus. That at that 
bleakest moment when we stand before the God of the universe and he says, what do you have to say for yourself? We can say, I I say nothing for myself except that I believe in Christ and him crucified who has stood in my place, who has sacrificed himself, who has taken the wrath that I justly deserved on himself. And so I stand now clothed in his righteousness. So any punishment that I had coming has been satisfied. But now, as we declare these words in the divine courtroom, we also have to understand if that's true for us, then that means change for us. Because it means we cannot continue living as we were before we were accused. What I mean by that is this. We, our life has to change. If we are in Christ, then we can no longer pervert the word of God. We can no longer seek after the idols of this world. We have to live as sons and daughters. We have to live in faith, in obedience. Because this is the the wondrous reality. That the gospel is this... I began in our prayer this morning, the pastoral prayer this morning, talking about how we can't understand the depths of it. And it's certainly true. We cannot understand the depths of what Christ has done for us. Mark this morning, as he read our passage in Proverbs, talked about, where was it? I'm not going to be able to find it now. Now, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Wounds and dishonors will, will he get. And his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare what he takes when he takes revenge. I think this is very applicable to our passage this morning. What kind of, I'm going to say this this way. This is a harsh way. What kind of idiots do we have to be to be confronted with the wondrous reality of the gospel and say, yeah, that's good. Now I'm going to go right back to where I was. We cannot continue to wound and dishonor and disgrace that which Jesus has done for us. Because those who commit adultery, you and me, as we play the whore, as we seek after the world and not after God, lack sense. <laughs> That's what the Proverbs is here. Lack sense. We lack sense. We have to understand who we are. We have to understand what Christ has done. And it must change us. And we have to begin to give up those things. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we all have those things that we won't let go of. That we, white knuckles, you know that saying, 
You have white knuckles. My wife, anytime she drives, she has white knuckles. It's because she's holding on to the steering wheel so tightly that the blood begins to leave your knuckles and your knuckles become white. We have those things that we are just like, I am not going to let go of this. And this is mine. And we have to say no. Thanks be to God, I don't have to cherish these just insignificant things. I can let them go and say, Christ is mine and I am in him. And the whole of my life will be sought after him. We must surrender ourselves to the wondrous reality, to the truth of the gospel, and give up these things, these sins, which so easily ensnare us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come and we see your word here, we are reminded of Jesus Christ. Lord, would we unclench our fist? Would we release these things which we cherish? And would we cling to Christ above all else? We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let us stand together now as we